Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got Two Slips and the Gullies fans, we are here for episode 101. The long march starts again, Gary. You missed our 100th episode. You were a bit under the weather. I was, but I'm still, you know, I'll raise the bat. I don't care. <laughs> you, we actually had to sub Scotty in for you, and you've done more episodes than he has. So Yeah, well, take that, Scott. It's almost yeah. like you're always the main guy now. I'm the main guy. <laughs> I'm not Alfred anymore. Not Al- yeah, you're Batgirl now. Okay. All right. That, that works for me. <laughs> Uh, so, um, we hope you've all listened to our 100th episode. It was a bit of, we waxed nostalgia a little bit in that one before getting on to doing a draft, which I have to say that uh, your absence made that draft a little bit easier because I was starting to think about two thirds of the way through, man, this would have been hard with four. <laughs> well, I was unluckily happy to disappoint. <laughs> uh, so this episode is the one that we are now going to uh, debrief about the Ashes series and, and what a series it was. And congratulations to us at Two Slips in the Gully. We, we uh, uh, predicted 4-0 to Australia with a rain-affected draw. So, oh, Yeah, we're totally right. Obviously, it was so, us. So... Well done to us. Uh, well, there's a few things we got wrong. Um, uh, I uh, obviously, for for a long time, have been very vocal about my uh, dissatisfaction with the potential for Usman Khawaja to come back into the side. What did he? He didn't do anything. Oh, he's you know two hundreds in a single test is oh, well, on his you know return test. Give me a go. I'll let Lucky have a go. <laughs> so yeah, there were there were some things that we uh, that we didn't get right, but overall the. Uh, the way that the series unfolded was pretty much how we thought it was going to go. The English batsmen would struggle in our conditions. The English bowlers at times would uh, struggle to hit their lengths and get penetration. Um, and in the day, Australia ended up coming out of the series with a with a convincing win. I actually thought England may have been closer in some of the games, but um, they were incredibly outclassed from from basically from go to woe. There were some small bright spots, but uh, on the whole. It was yeah. a pretty poor showing from to basically very, when, they, when they got off the plane. It was very disappointing. They just didn't show any heart. The only heart I actually saw in the series was uh, Johnny Bairstow. Yeah, I'll agree to that. Uh, uh, Joe Root obviously played like uh, he was you know, trying his best, carrying the side, but uh, there was some... The pressure, it seems, got to him. He had a couple of really good 50s, but uh, towards the back end of the series, he'd get a start and he'd just prodded one that he had no business prodding at and just nick off for like he did get a ripper of the a ball at the um in his last innings at Hobart but there were a lot of ones where he just sort of just prodded yeah. the ball outside off just helped it through to Alex Carey or David Warner at first slip and um stop, and yeah it's just just stop it gotta be gotta be better than that Joe and if he's their best player that's always a bit of a concern <laughs> he, he's quality Joe Rudy's quality he is um 
you know, like everyone, he, he's, he was in a bit of a form slump from, you know, 2019-ish, and he's come out the other side of that. And what is he, the second highest run scorer in a calendar year in history? Yeah, but he's played like a million test matches, <laughs> which is why. All right, I was going for a half laugh full here, but it's all right. That's all right. You're um, yeah. you are you are one hundred percent correct. But yeah. still, that being said, he he's still got to go and score those runs, and he did. Uh, so we will get into it and have a big chat, big long chat, talking about everything Ashes and what we thought about all the games and all that is coming up right after this. Go on, straight down the throat of first slips. The last time we spoke to you regarding the Ashes, uh, Australia just wrapped up the pink ball test at Adelaide. So we have both games at the G. MCG and SCG, and then, of course, we moved on to a historic fifth test in Hobart. So not only is it Hobart's first Ashes test, it was also a day-night test. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a spectacle. That um, that first day at Hobart, we'll get into more detail about it later, that first day is probably one of the most entertaining days of test cricket that I've seen in a very, very long time. The ball, the ball dominated. It was unbelievable. Right up until it met Travis Head. Well... He just he, he he was unaware that the ball was dominating and he did what he wanted. <laughs> no one told him. Cameron Green also batted very well. Yeah, he did. Uh in that. Um so yeah, we'll we'll start at the G. Uh this was obviously the Ashes were still alive at, at this point. England needed to get a get a victory to even stand a chance of winning the Ashes, and uh unfortunately it didn't go well for them. Uh what is a recurring theme throughout this series? They were marred by very poor selection. It was obviously a seeming track, and Stuart Broad was sensationally left out of the side for, for the MCG, and I have no doubt that Broad would have made our lives just horrible on that pitch. I just I just don't understand what their thinking is. I, I, I understand that Broad and Anderson are both sort of um, towards the end of their careers, but if... If you cop an injury in, I don't know, the third test of a five-test Ashes series and you can't play cricket anymore, well, who cares? I know they care, but I, I, as, a cap, I, as a captain, I want my best team. Exactly, and uh, it just boggles my mind that they, because they didn't, I, from what everything that I read about abroad wasn't carrying an injury, He was it was preventative maintenance, not... But you can't prevent the guy from being 35 years old or whatever it is. It's silly. It is so silly. And I think uh, when we had uh, uh, Aaron, our guest we had on for our 99th episode, he he summed it up beautifully. Uh, Paralysis by analysis is the term that he used. England have come down with some sort of game plan. You know, Chris Silverwood and Joe Root and all these guys have got a game plan in mind. They was like, let's keep Jimmy on ice because we can really capitalise for the pink ball test. So we won't play James Anderson at the Gabba. Um, you know, we'll, the last time Australia played there ended up being, like, they lost, and then we played them there in 10-11. It was a draw. You know, it was a bit of a road against India. So if we can just hang on for a draw, get to Adelaide nil, still at nil, then we can take a lead in the series. And then from there, well, the MCG typically doesn't do a great deal. It tends to be a, a flat one as well. We don't want to have Stuart Broad and James Anderson both in that game because, you know, they're, they're, we're lacking a bit of penetration on a flat wicket, so we'll make sure we rest and, uh, Stuart Broad for for Melbourne. And they just had this plan in their head about how the series was going to go, and they just didn't look at the conditions at all. Like the fact that yeah. they played Jack Leach in Brisbane on a deck where it had been raining all week and was green as anything, and they left Stuart Broad and Anderson out was just nightmarish. Adelaide, all everyone was saying this this wicket will spin later on. Yes, it's a pink ball game, but it'll spin. They don't play Leach for that one. They get to Melbourne. Melbourne looks like it's going to be seaming everywhere. Yeah. They don't play Broad, who is their best seam bowler. It's yeah, it's just no, I just I just don't understand it. They just didn't seem like they wanted to deviate from their their plans, their selection plans, their rotation plans at all, and, and it cost them. And like. I think Joe, it's going to. It was set in at the Gabba when Joe Root won the toss and elected to bat with a, a really shaky batting lineup at the best of times in Australian conditions, overcast, green, with Cummins, Hazelwood, and Co. coming to get you. Yeah. Like, 
neither side's played any test cricket for a while. Surely as a captain in those conditions, you want you don't want to be the ones making the mistake first. Yeah, it could bite you in the ass and you could end up going, you know, they could be one for three hundred. Yeah. But at the on the other side of the token is you're not all out for 150 like they were yeah. at the game. And it just put them on the back foot. The, the barrage against Jack Leach played him basically out of the series almost until it was already yeah. over. And they just had the mental scars from there and never seemed to recover. And, and that was the same thing that seemed to happen at, at the G. Uh, Cummins on the toss, sent them in. We knocked them over for under 200. Uh, and then scratched together a score. I think it was a, we had an 86-run lead. Yeah. And then cometh the man, cometh the hour, oh. Scott Bolland. Oh. What a debut for Scott Bolland. Well, everyone was um, – I think Kerry O'Keefe was the one who sort of uh, said, we need to get Bolland in. He's one of the best at the G. And I was, I was a little bit shocked. And I went and had a look at his stats, and he was right. He was, you know – he was the MCG expert. Like 38 wickets at the 13 or something yeah, for his last. Something ridiculous. And I thought, class game. If, he can, if he can tail up a couple of wickets, I'd, I'd be really impressed. I wasn't expecting what happened to happen. <laughs> Six, four, seven. And just but, utter carnage on the beginning of day three. Finished the test in two and a half days. And what would be. Uh, a record, 12 days of cricket. Yeah, when the Ashes in 12 days. Uh, which is, so, you know, up until that point, you would, you'd think it'd be 15 days worth of cricket to get through three tests, and we won it with three days to spare. It yeah. was just, yeah, just, and, you know, to be fair to Scott Boland, he wasn't doing a great deal. I, that's what I kept thinking. I could, like, was, he's not bowling was, hand grenades, it people. It was all subtle. Like, he was moving the ball and he was just nagging at that length and it was just it was just really subtle. And it's the guys like that, it's guys like Vernon Philander uh, that really show that you don't necessarily have to have big hooping in swingers or bowl 155 kilometres per hour. There is room in the game for guys with that bang on precision line and length and just a little bit of nibble. Yeah. Um, and like it was a fa- it was a it was a a wicket at the MCG that I haven't seen in my entire life. I've never seen a wicket like that at the MCG. It was so much life in it, especially considering for the last like yeah th- the corresponding game in the last Ashes tour it received a poor rating from yeah. the ICC, yeah. which meant if it received another one in the next five years, it would have been. Um, didn't it get? It would have been. It would have been deregistered as a test venue. Didn't it get a poor rating when we played India there a couple of years ago? No, it was a poor rating against England. I think it was an average rating or a oh, good that's rating. That's just semantics. It was shit. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, well, India beat us, so that's probably why we didn't like it yeah. too much. Uh, and yeah, so just after carnage, England collapsed like a house of cards on day three. I think Scotty Bolland knew that I had to travel home from the uh, in-laws that afternoon. And wanted to make sure the game was all wrapped up so I didn't miss any cricket while I was driving. So thank you, Scott Bolland. Yeah, don't worry about winning us the Ashes, mate. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> didn't miss out. So That's it. I got to see us, you know, retain the Ashes. I actually made my wife sit down and watch it. And she was, oh, this is test cricket. I'd like this. I'm like, well, it doesn't happen very often. That's why I'm making you watch it. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. Uh, and so a, a, bit of, a bit of history, he's the second Indigenous Australian to represent Australia, which is, uh, well, since obviously the um, yeah. original team that toured England, yeah. the Aboriginal team. So he, other, Jason Gillespie was the first. So in, what, 140-odd years of Test cricket, and he's only the second, which is quite a, you know, a, a momentous occasion for him and, and does spark why haven't we had any more, which, you know, um, why aren't more young Aboriginal children getting into cricket? So hopefully that's something that... Uh, the higher ups are trying to work out at a grassroots level. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is. I'm, there's other factors, football and yeah. So obviously, sort of AFL tends to be a, a sport that attracts a lot of uh, Aboriginal young Aboriginal boys to go and play. That uh, so, what do we need to do to entice them to come and play cricket instead? I mean, AFL was invented just to give cricketers something to do in the winter time. So yeah. Well. AFL's not very good anyway. <laughs> Hello, Victoria. Um, no, but no, I'm sure there's things that we can do, things that could be done. Um, 
But if anyone actually sat down and watched a game of test cricket that they saw at the G, it might inspire them to go play test cricket. What I loved about Scott Boland is obviously it was such a momentous debut. Six for seven, unheard of. I think it was the the third cheapest six for in the history of cricket. You know, all the whole week thing about uh, you know him being the second Indigenous Australian to come and play. He copped so much attention from the media. And he just seemed very chill, yeah, very down to earth, very matter of fact, and just just want to be just. I'm just a guy. Like I, I'm not a, I'm not a deity. I'm not someone to yeah. just right to rally behind. I'm just a bloke that has grown up wanting to play for Australia, and here I am playing for Australia, and I'm happy to be here. Well, the the funny thing was before the match had even started and the team was announced, it was it was like, why is this guy here? What we we don't have anybody else. Why are we resting players? What's wrong with like everybody yeah, well, else? Well, it was a bit of a shock because we'd um, we'd made two changes to our bowling attack, and there didn't seem to be any you know misgivings with Nisa and Richardson coming out of Adelaide. Later reported they were a little under the weather, you know, strains and stuff. But I would have to think that if it was Hazelwood. Yeah. And Cummins would they yeah. probably would have backed up at the MCG, but yeah. they thought that you know they're a little underdone. Let's give this guy a crack because this is his home ground, and yeah, so well, they announced I can it pretty that, early. But, but yeah, I can. There was there was a a bit of a backlash because obviously Jai Richardson had, had been tossed just, up all oh yeah all um all summer it, leading into it because he had been destroying people at Shield cricket, and he did just take a fifer. Yeah. And then found his way out of the team. And... <laughs> oh, you don't take a five for very often, get left out the next game, and then don't come back in because the guy took a six. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Well, he, well, moving on to the SEG, he was still the same sort of heroics there as well. Picked up a bag of wickets for not many, just that same thing, needling around the outside off stump, keeping the, the, uh, the opposition honest and working away the inside and the outside edges. Did a great job. Um, and this is obviously the one where Usman Khawaja came back. Travis Head contracted uh, um, COVID in between, so it was ruled out for the Sydney Test. Yeah, yeah. So Khawaja came in the middle order, and, uh, yeah, what a return to form. I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have picked him. I think that we should have still ma- maintained that we he hadn't really done enough to work his way back, and then, you know, he's got such a yeah. a long record of occasionally turning up and then long periods of not a lot, but he'd been scoring runs this year in Shield. They gave him a crack and he did what only you can't ask any more from him. Well, somebody said to me, what what does he need to do to stay in the team? And and they said, oh, what if he scores 100? I said, it's not good enough. Head's already scored 100. He'd have to score 100 in each innings. And by God, that's what he did. (laughs) I don't necessarily know if he had to have both 100s to to make it back. Um, I, I agree with the decision they made heading into Hobart to drop Marcus Harris. I know they said they were going to give him a series, but uh, you know, Kawaj has got uh, you know this vaunted record of over- averaging ninety opening the batting, and I know I've denounced it over time as it being such a small sample size. And the last time he did any good at it was you know two thousand seventeen, so it was a few years ago. Well, he did better than Warner, but um, yeah, Harris <laughs> has had plenty of digs. And with the exception of a pretty gutsy knock in Melbourne, has looked pretty average. And Why can't we just find another um, opener? And, and I just think he had to make way. Like Kawaja had to retain his spot, especially after he doubled. He doubled up and got another one. It was like if they didn't pick Kawaja to open the batting and bring Travis Head in, the selectors were taking the piss. Well, who, who other than Dave Warner, who's been our best opening batsman in the last ten years? Chris Rogers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Good old Buck. We miss you, Buck. You come back. We'll let you dance and everything. In um, to quote Glenn here, because he always does it. We talk about uh, Chris Rogers. We it's Captain Australia. Captain Australia, yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, did you actually get to go to any of the cricket? Eric? I did not. I uh, watched it from the comfort of my phone slash lounge slash TV. Wherever I could find a screen, it was on. I watched it. I know you got to get down there for I did. one I did. of the days. I did. And I, I, um, I was about 10 metres away from Scott Boland and started to chant and it caught on. I had had many beverages at that time. Yeah, kept hydrated, plenty of uh, water. Very hydrated. <laughs> very, very hydrated. It was it was fantastic. And he's he's very nonchalant bloke. 
Like he's, you know, he doesn't big note himself in the media. Like he's just done something amazing. Um, and I think when he took his six foot in Melbourne, they told him to hold the ball up. And you sort of went, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it looked was... embarrassed to be doing it and then quickly tucked it back down by his yeah. waist. It was... Like he was just, I, 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 he, he almost seems shy and he does, uh, yeah. understated, and I, I kind of respect that about him a bit. He didn't sort of jump up. Like I would have appreciated a excitable thing, not holding against him, but I sort of like the sort of just like I'm just here doing my job, man. Like I'm this is the, this is the best best Christmas I've had in my entire life. Do I'm th- playing for Australia. Do I, you think he's still at home somewhere now? Going, did that really just happen? Did I really just get picked for Australia out of the blue? And take a bag of wickets at bugger all. 15 wickets at under 10. 15 yeah, wickets at 9, nine I, think. I think it was. And did that really happen? Oh, or, or am I going to wake up tomorrow? I'd or? still be doing that. I'd just be like, I'm going to, when this dream finishes, I'm going to have a glorious hangover. But, you know, what a dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what, what an amazing, like, and he's not young. He's 30, 32. 30, so old. Even really old, isn't it, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Almost, almost. Almost, my friend. I suppose we'd be remiss not to talk about England because this is probably part of... Oh, England had a couple of really good days in Melbourne and Sydney. Two, yeah. two key days. I, I was actually really upset, well, not upset, because I always enjoy watching the Poms lose and they're playing us, but I felt for England because I felt that day two was probably the best day of cricket they had on the whole tour of the MCG game. They, well, I think, nine for 205 they got us out for. Yeah. Um, you know, bold, fantastic lines and lengths. James Anderson has, has never looked more threatening in an Ashes game in Australia in his life. Yeah, but the spell that he had yeah. at Melbourne was his best spell in Australia, bar none. Don't tell, talk to me about Adelaide in 2017. This was the best spell that he's had in Australia in his entire career. And he was quick, though. And, yeah, it was just everything seemed to click. They were hitting their lengths. They were fielding well. The, they were swarming the Australians. And, you know, if you, you know, I think what we ended up to 50-ish, yeah, so an, 80, like an 86-run lead, if you could say, oh, we'll get the Australians out for 250, you'd take that. But if, you know, they were one down for 50-odd and you knew you were going to get them all out for another 200 runs, like, that was, it was great. And then the final hour of the day, they all fell in eight. Yeah, that was fantastic, actually. And it's just, they were just so close to getting it right. Like, if they make it through that night unscathed, then, you know, there's their real chance of, getting through and possibly making a, a bit of a contest out of it. You know, 86-run deficit, so you get through, you know, 30-odd runs, it turns into a 50-run deficit, maybe one or two down, so you're two for minus 30. You go on and maybe, you know, Joe Root has a day. You get to a lead roughly around 200, and then you've got to try, Aussie's got to try on that seeming deck at Melbourne. And then instead what happens, they have an 86-run deficit and lose by an innings. It's, it's just... <laughs> Just boggling. And then in Sydney again, they had uh, you know, Johnny Bairstow and, and Ben Stokes came out and played that really aggressive role. Yeah. And um batted really well and you know, finally looked like it was a bit of fight. And then they let the Australians go and pile on it like Usman Khawaja and, and Cam Green pile on the runs in the third innings to make it that there's no chance for an England victory. Well Johnny Bairstow looked really, really good. And it was unfortunate that he didn't make it into the side until Sydney. Or was it? Did he? Yeah, Sydney Melbourne. was his first. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. think, I, no, think yeah. I can't remember. Hang on, I'll double check that. But I think Sydney was his first. There's a reason Johnny Bairstow averages 33. I, I think, yeah, for every innings like that that you get, there's going to be a stack of them where he just looks like a muppet. No, sorry, he did, mate. He did play Melbourne. Mm. And he still had the high score. So yeah, they were, you know, that game, Melbourne was a key, a key game, and I thought um, England nearly had it together. And then, uh, obviously, the fourth innings, there was that famous stand. They got together and held on nine wickets down. But, geez, that final session was exciting, looking like England were comfortably going to make it. They'd sort of over, they'd gotten over the demons of the pitch. There wasn't too much left in it. 
and then Cummins bowls two absolutely cracking in-swinging Yorkers How in like the space they? of two overs. I think you messaged me at that point and said, are you watching this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching it. Um, oh, and then Smitty put down Bairsco. And, and then, you know, three overs to go, they tossed the ball to Steve Smith, and I was sitting there going, this has got Michael Clark over my weight vibes. This is going to happen. And then, you know, so he bowled some, you know, decent leggies outside the off stump of the left-hander and finally got one. I'm like, it's happening. Clark of 08 yeah. is happening, and then yeah, they managed to manage to see out the uh, the final the final two overs, and uh, James Anderson called uh, Steve Smith's last delivery of that test a pie, <laughs> which it probably was. I, I thought they may have missed a trick there. I think you they they struck lightning with Smith getting the wicket um, of Leach, yeah. but I think with Anderson facing six balls, I think Anderson would much rather have been playing Steve Smith than he would have been facing Pat Cummins. I think Pat Cummins should have brought himself back on for that last they over. Would, they would have went off. They they couldn't. They had to bowl spin. Oh, well, they told they had to bowl spin. Yeah, it was light. It was a light thing. Oh, that's rubbish. That's why. Rubbish. I would have Mitchell Stark plugged that in. I, I missed that in all of my euphoria about yeah. Smith getting wickets and stuff. Yeah, that's the only reason he bowled. It's because um, Nathan Lyon had just bowled from the other end, and they said, oh, yeah, the light's too bad. You can't bowl quick. You can only bowl spinners because, you know, Anderson's like, oh, I can't see. It's like bloody England here. Jesus, he's played two million tests. You'd think he'd learn how to hold a goddamn bat. I know you'd think so, but anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so they stave off 4-0 and make their way to Hobart. So the, uh, the whitewash is gone, so they managed to stave it off two tours in a row. But then, as we all saw, the day-night test was, um, again, there were parts of that game that were, were filled with promise for England. They had Australia 3 for 12. Oh, I was ropeable. I was watching it. I was so angry. And then I wasn't so angry after that. <laughs> Travis Head and Labuschagne uh, decided to uh, counter-attack. Yeah. Got themselves to a bit of stability. Uh, Labuschagne ended up just tripping over and... That is getting the, the funniest way I've ever seen anyone. I, I do out. love the fact the next day that he made a joke about it himself on his own Twitter. He, yeah. he, t- he tweeted a photo of him on like on his hands and knees, the stumps scattered, and it was like, "Oh, how'd you get out today, mate? Oh, I just got a good one." And then that yeah. was that picture. I'm like, "Oh, like it." He, he laughed at himself, so he know that's going to be shown on replay about four million times for the next four days, and yeah. and uh, and probably for the rest of his life <laughs> because he deserves to. You know, it's just that was ridiculous. I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. I just, I just don't understand. I don't think he understands either. So that's okay. I think he was, he was trying to get himself, uh, you know, outside line of off stump, work it off his pads to the leg side for a one, and then I think he's just sort of not really planted his foot too much, and then it's carried and he slid, which has then made forced him off balance and then broads just... Why are you trying to whip the one that's hitting the middle stump? He'd been doing it for the last 25 minutes. Stop Anything it. that was on his pads. That's how Steve Smith scores all he runs. He yes, bowled the middle stump and... Steve Smith's a god, don't you forget it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so moving on from there, um, England again, they come out in the, in the third innings, restrict Australia to uh, under 200, and, you know, 270 is like... So it's going to be a... a a big chase under lights for a period as well. But, um, you know, it's under 300. You get a decent partnership or two together, and all of a sudden that's looking within reach. There was so long in a game to play. And then, lo and behold, they go out and their openers get to 68 not out. Like, they've had yeah. 68-run stand, well, which is by far their biggest you, end. You, and you, you've missed the most entertaining part of this match so already. Did you watch Nathan Lyon bat in the first? Oh yeah, Nathan Lyon just taking the long handle to uh, Mark Wood, who was bouncing everyone. Yeah, well, Mark Wood's bouncing everyone. He's just like, yeah, oh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> just so I'll, I'll, I'll have some of them biggies. Two or three sixes. Three maybe? sixes. Fantastic, fantastic. There was an over that went for twenty something because um, like Kerry got an edge and it went for four, and he hit three sixes in that over. Well, there was some there was some examples of fantastic batting in the first innings. Obviously, we talked about earlier Travis Head, and I think that's the, one of the finest hundreds I've seen from anyone, not just Travis Head. Yeah, but he went he went a bit nuts. We're three for twelve, and he's all of a sudden. Oh, watch this! Hold my beer. That yeah. was a hold my beer moment. And he did it. It came off. He looked fantastic. He the before long that they um, 
I suppose the ball started to get a bit soft and they just went back to their back of a length short ball sort of tactic to Travis Head and he just ate it up and just carried on and carried on. And then Cameron Green came out, and I think it's the best that Cameron Green's batted as well. He came out and really held that sort of innings together, just knocking it about, getting Travis Head on strike. But that innings was a microcosm of everything we love and hate about Travis Head. Yeah. 99, 100 in sight, tries to work a ball that he shouldn't be working around the corner, leading edge, just gets over mid-off. Yeah, mid on. He yelled at it so hard it went over. Yeah, it was the sound of his voice yeah, propelled yeah, it over. Yeah. You're like, Travis... Just full face to the bat, mate. And then brings up his 100. Awesome. Fantastic. What an amazing 100. You'll never, you know, hard pressed to find a better 100 than that ever with the conditions he was in and the, how well the pitch was playing and all that sort of stuff. And then the next ball, big leading edge out. Yeah. It's just like, oh. But watching that, if he had got out for four. Oh, and, we were screwed. Oh, everyone's yelling at him. And I think but, it's some. I, I feel like it's 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 something that they've spoken about, um, especially in a day night test match. They've put in the bat, and you know, at three for twelve, in thirty overs or forty overs, it's going to be dark. Um, the ball's going to swing around corners. The time to go after it is now. Hmm. And I think I think it was the right call. Yeah, I so really what? do. And, and, and I'm happy to live and die by that sword so long as Travis picks his shots. The ones that annoy me are the just the just the gutless fens, you yeah. know, when the ball's on like sixth stump that you know, it's not even with a horizontal bat, it's like a forty five degree angled bat, just pokes at it and gets out. They're yeah. the ones that really annoy me. If he goes for a you know, a full blooded drive, playing positively that he's been coming off and ends up nicking one. That's fine, but when he's just doing those crappy little prods, like I think he had one was at the second innings in Adelaide, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, we we got to twenty or thirty, and he just sort of eh yeah. at it and got himself out. Those are the ones he's got to get out of his game. But if he's going to play like that, he's going to square drive everything, like trace the bullets to the boundary, and really be positive. I can live with a few dismissals that don't go his way there, but it's yeah. the ones where he just half uh, half hearts it. It's not an attacking shot. It's not a defensive shot. You're not going after it. You're not leaving it. You're just sort of wafting the bat out there. Yeah. If he gets rid of those dismissals, he can do whatever he likes, knowing that there's a hundred, like runnable hundreds like that, are yeah. within his reach. But he just can't get himself out doing those silly ones. And and largely, he's got that out of his game. Like I'll I'll handle aggressive dismissals. Yeah. Provided obviously there's a, a you know. If the ball's turning around corners, he might need to apply a little bit of restraint. But if it's there to be hit and he mishits it, that's one thing. But if he just, yeah, just the lazy yeah. prod. And, you know, he's nailed that spot down. He now can move from strength to strength and make that number five spot his own. But saying that, we were three for 12. And when he got out, we were five for 204. Mm. After, what, 48 overs? What are it? Like I said, that day one of that test is one of the most entertaining games I think I've seen. Oh, it was amazing. Entertaining days of cricket I've seen in a long time. It was awesome. Uh, and, and so the other end of the spectrum, we're talking about something that was phenomenal. We'll talk about one of the worst things that I've seen in a, on a cricket field. So England were none, 68 for none. Crawley and Burns were looking pretty solid. And then Cameron Green comes out, uh, gets two chop-ons and a fantastic ball that leaves... Zach Crawley and ends up being three down, and then England just decide, oh, that's enough. We're not we going to take. We, we want to go to the we, pub. We want to go home now, and they just fall in a heap. You know, like all out. I think ten for fifty six, ten for fifty three. Yeah, it was something ridiculous that they got dismissed for. Um, and I don't want to hold it too much against their bowlers because they've just watched their batsmen five Test matches just being useless. And they've got to come out here and get behind, offer the full face of the bat and grit and drag and, you know, beg, borrow, steal and survive. But And they came out and just got outside of leg stump and wafted at the ball and got bowled and, and sort of yeah. just really just giving up, essentially. That was giving up. Yeah. And I kind of I don't appreciate that because that's what they did. They gave up. But I also appreciate that it's the last test of five. You've been on the road forever and a day. You have no chances of really saving this game. But I would have liked to see if I was an England fan, Ollie Robinson and Mark Wood get 10 off 40 Four. balls, yeah. really trying until they got one that just swung back through the gate or, you know, reared off a length and just really made them work for it. But no, um, I just I just don't understand. Like, if 
if it was me in that situation, I know it's really stupid to say, I'm never going to play Test cricket for Australia. But I, I feel like I'd put value on my wicket. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever roll over and just go, oh, well, it's too hard. And the thing is, like, they're chasing down what they needed another 180-odd runs, 170-odd runs when they were out there. I don't care about back for four days. Then they, they weren't going to get it. They were going to get ones with their name on it. It yeah. was just – it's unrealistic to think that they were going to do it. But there will come a time, like, where they might only need 50 or 60 or 40 when they're nine down. And these are times when you know that you can go out and if you – Put your all your effort in and try and survive. Swinging pink ball on a, a greenish deck in Hobart, and you can go, man. They toured Australia. I came out. We were nine down, and I batted for forty-five balls in those conditions before they got me. Yeah. You know, if me and him can survive for that long, I reckon we can chip off those thirty or forty more runs that we need. Like yeah. it just. It builds that when you know in yourself that you've got the technique around. I can do this. I can definitely do this. You know, you know, going to the West Indies, the pitches aren't going to be quite as lively as Australian ones. They haven't been lively for a while. And if they get in that position where they're, you know, 50, 60 runs, that's, you know, that's a decent partnership. Nine week, you know, nine wickets down, but it's not impossible. No, no, it's not. And if you're going out there going, oh, we can't chase down 200, so we'll just pack it in. You never get any of that match practice for when you are. I just with breath of steel. Is it an, is it an England thing? Because as an Australian, it's, no, it's, we do not give up. It's a beaten team thing. That's what it is. They were beaten and they wanted to go home. No, they, they that's were. sad. You were supposed to represent your country, and I'm sure I speak for everyone in England and say that's not good enough. Yeah, Michael Vaughan was quite overall in the commentary with uh, with how England went. Um, I will want to go and talk to you about your opinions regarding where England go from here. But before we get into that, uh, it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops for Australia. I mean, winning papers over a lot of cracks. And uh, so I'm going to take our objective uh, critiquing brush to the Australian side. Warner got two 90s in two knocks at the beginning of the series and contributed sweet FA since. Yep. Marnus scored a 70 and then 100 off where he was dropped about 15 times, and sweet FA since, yeah. except for that 47. Steve Smith is the first Ashes series he's had since 2010 where he has not scored 100, averaged 30 for the series. Our once vaunted top four, where we would back at least one of those top four to go big, all really came up with... You'd say largely donuts for the the back yeah, end of that series. Pretty much. Are you concerned by that at all? No. 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 The simple thing is, there's four players at least. They haven't played much Test cricket. Um. Un- is it? They, they 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 some of them receive really good balls. I know Dave Warner. As soon as Jimmy Anderson or Broad, sorry, come back into the attack. It was like someone switched him off. He was broken. Um, Which is, again, why I just... Oh, I'll save it. I'll save it for when we talk about him. <laughs> I'll save it when we talk about him. <laughs> but other than that, like, I completely understand where, where, what, you, what you mean by it all. But, no, I'm not really worried. Um, if it had been a full, you know, 12 months beforehand, yeah, I would have been a little bit concerned. But the fact that we've had other people stand up, put their big boy pants on and say, you know what, I play for Australia. Yeah, I was about to make that same point. It's very comforting to know that largely it was a pretty average series from our big three batsmen and we won 4-0. Yeah. And admittedly, like, there's no way, there's no two ways around it. That England test side is rubbish. It's a rubbish cricket team. Yeah. Um, you know, their, their batting is so far away from being genuinely competitive as a, like a top four nation. It's, it is unfathomable. Joe Root scored 1,700-odd runs, yeah. and I think he was 1,200 runs higher than um, the next highest. Yeah. Do you know who the third highest run scorer for England? So Rory Burns was the second highest. Wasn't it Wokes? Uh, I'll give you three guesses. And I'll, if you get it in those three guesses, I'll tell you. So Wokes, it's not Wokes. Oh, okay. Um, um, Darwood Milan second, I think. Am I wrong? No, Rory Burns. So Joe Root, 1,708. Rory Burns, 503. So 1,205 runs in the rears of the highest scorer. Milan? 
No. Okay. That, that's your three guesses. Oh. So on 412 runs for the year of 2021. Jimmy Anderson. Extras. Oh, yeah, it was too. Extras. And then it was who? Johnny Bairstow. Oh, okay. So. Um, I because he scored 100. <laughs> so we, we didn't play a particularly good side, but we won 4-0 off the back of there not being a lot contributed from our top order consistently. But the way I'm looking at it is, especially in Steve Smith's case, uh, Warner and Smith particularly haven't played any first-class cricket since. No. Um we lost India at the Gabba. Smith's been injured for the middle part of the year. Yeah. Um, basically, all the cricket those guys, other than, so Labrachane played for, for Queensland and did okay, but Warner and Smith particularly have only played uh, T20s in the World Cup or the IPL. Yeah. Come back here and played no cricket and then have been sent out to bat um, in some of the most seam-friendly bowling conditions I've ever seen Australia produce. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit odd, hasn't it? One of the best seam attacks in the world. Yeah. So... I think they'll be better for the Gallup. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know about Warner. Warner's had a long time to try and get better at playing the moving ball, and he never really seems to... He just likes to feel bad on ball too much, so I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that we're going to see really flourish in those conditions, which is funny because his first 100 was in Hobart against New Zealand where the ball was seeming everywhere, and he looked completely unfazed. But, yeah, he just... England seemed to have the wood on him whenever they get the ball to move. I I think that... um... Dave Warner, he, yeah, he got a pair in Hobart. That second innings, though, geez, that was a screamer of a catch to get yeah, rid of him. Yeah, but he didn't need to play that no, short. No, he it didn't was... need to. The guy just got a duck in the first innings. He's just a little bit underdone. In the air, through the cordon, you took a screamer, but, you know, you just let that one go, play yourself into an innings, you know. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, so after showing a lot of promise at the beginning of the series with back-to-back 90s, he sort of tapered off a bit. And it's, as you said, it was when Stuart Broad came back in to start consistently playing, he yeah. started looking a bit wobbly. Um, but, yeah, I think there's some concerns there. They'll be very keen for those guys to get some runs under their belt. Um, probably, hopefully, the back end, of, they'll be able to contribute in the back end of the Shield seasons before heading over to Pakistan was our next uh, our next test series. So they'll I'm be keen... I hope that goes ahead. I really do. Well, so far there've there's been no no whispers at all regarding that not going ahead. So it's full steam ahead at the moment. So fingers crossed, nothing changes in the political landscape or the COVID landscape or anything like that, and we can just well, get my that away. my Uber driver was very happy that they were going to Pakistan. Like we spoke about cricket for about forty minutes. It was amazing. It's it's a it's a. Not a Hopefully, we can get as much cricket in Pakistan as we can. I mean, it's been, what, 12-ish years, I think, since... Something like that, yeah. 12, 13 years since, like, that horrible incident where it stopped us playing in Pakistan. Yeah. And there's, like, whole generations of Pakistani cricketers that have never played in front of their home crowd. So there are whole generations of Pakistani fans that have never seen their team yeah. play test cricket and understand there's all sorts of security concerns and things like that and you know no sport is really worth risking getting killed over but uh, uh, but hopefully no, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not you're completely and utterly correct so yeah i'd like to see smith and lavishane and warner get into the runs for some shield and really sort of put this sort of summer behind them it wasn't a fantastic summer i mean smith played a couple of very really key innings but it just wasn't the same sort of Steve Smith that we've... Uh, no, he really, he really wasn't on, was he? Uh, line was good. Much better than the was against um, India. Stark, we, we were very much up in the air about... Oh, I'm Had so a phenomenal glad. series. I think he must have been... I, don't, I think if Travis Head scores a 60 in that first innings at Hobart, Stark wins player of the series. Hmm... The guys played all five tests. You know, Hayes' production for Sydney and Hobart wasn't quite as good as it was for the first three, but he was, what is it, the second leading wicket taker of the series, or very close, second or close third. Yeah. Um, batted really well. Like, he's got a high batting average, I think, everyone except Joe Root from that series. I think well, he, he did have, they pushed him up the order, and that may have cost him, but anyway. But, like, yeah, his, some of his stuff was amazing. Some of the things that he did, you could, like you said before, you could actually tell he sort of 
he got a little bit tired towards the end, but it was okay. He still bowled like a machine. And he had, you know, had good spells. He was a little loose at times, but, but bowled good spells and kept charging in and kept his speed up. Wasn't, you know, overly loose. Uh, went after a bit, but always seemed to pull it back in and get himself back together. Yeah. So I was very happy with that. And, and I think before we jump into to England, we've got to talk about Cameron Green. Oh. So. Oh. How good was it to see him finally take a bloody wicket? <laughs> the guy had been toiling he, he, for none for 180. He got his first taste and then just couldn't stop. Ended up yeah. with, was it 11 wickets, I think, oh, for the series? That's 18 or something. Um, really broke the game open in Hobart when it was looking a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really, I, I discussed it with you before, but I really like the way that um, Pat Cummins is using yeah, I, yeah, I think Pat Cummins is using Green a lot better than what Tim Payne. I think Tim Payne was just like, "Oh, here, young fella, have a bit of a, you know, the ball's a bit knackered. Have yeah, a bit of a bowl. Give give these guys a rest. We'll just get you on and sort of, you know, bowl it back of a length, trying to go for runs. Whereas they were using Green to take wickets, oh, not yeah. just to steady the ship for a few overs. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but the thing that impressed me the most, he started off the series a little under the pressure with the bat. No, they, he had a, a trigger movement, which was, you know, he's dropping his front foot forward, which was getting into trouble. And then, you know, Ponting got a hold of him and said, you know, you shouldn't be really doing this. And he immediately takes it up and is he's such a prolific talent that he can make adjustments like that mid-series and I, it paid almost immediate dividends for I'm him. I'm 42. I can't change the way I've done things forever. But he can do it, like, at the drop of a hat like, in you know, international sport. And, and that's mad. what's amazing about that is, you know, I'm sure that at a given time, any professional cricketer worth their salt can go and re-jig things. But the fact that he did it mid-series and he's under pressure and he knows that Mitch Marsh is copping a lot of, like, he was in the squad after Head went down. And so they yeah. must be talking, you know, he's had such a prolific white ball thing and, Warney's sitting there hammering on everyone's door going, pick Mitch Marsh, pick Mitch Marsh. Oh, whatever he said. Um, and, and, yeah, he just held his nerve, did his job with the ball, tweaked some things with the bat, and when it came out, you know, he scored two really impressive 50s in a row and just sort of put to bed any of that. Uh, yeah, it was like, fantastic. It was like, fantastic he'll, to say. He'll be the man for a while. So, yeah, but he's only 22. Uh, he could, if, as long as he stays healthy, he could have, he could have a callous-esque career. Oh, wow. For us. And I don't necessarily think he might hit those stratospheric heights of averaging 56 with a bat, but, like, he could be that guy that is a solid, like, yeah. borderline elite middle-order batsman that is yeah. also a, a yeah. genuine option with the ball. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, sky is the limit. There's an actual photo on Facebook going around at the moment. It's greeny with all the, um, yeah, some of the other heads, Aussies. Head's been cropped because yeah. he's too tall. yeah. <laughs> It's he, really funny. I saw that one, and it was Cameron Green is a cheat code. He's, quiet, <laughs> but he's, just, he's too good using him as a cheat code. Um, yeah, just couldn't, can't say enough about him. You know, looked okay with the bat in India, but a little lost with the ball. Beginning of this series, looked fine with the ball, a little lost with the bat, and he's he's getting it together. He's not far away from he's only consistently 22. being he's only 22. A, hopefully the, the the coaching staff sort of just. You know, let the air out of his tyres a little bit and make sure he keeps working hard. But considering the way that he made those adjustments mid-series to work on his batting, I don't think this is a guy that's going to let too much get in the way. He seems a very focused yeah. young man that wants to work on his craft and continue getting better. I don't think we're going to see him resting on his laurels anytime soon. How, how good is it to see his big smile, though, when he takes a week? Oh, it's yeah. It's fantastic. Got to yeah. love it. Wouldn't be able to wipe a smile off my face if I... Uh, no. I could take a wicket, be one for none, and then get hit around the park at 10 and over and be you know none for 100, and I'd still be We're grinning. Smiling. What are you smiling about? Oh, I took a wicket. Yeah, well, that's not. It shouldn't be as surprising for Greeny. It might be a little bit for you, but <laughs> I'll just uh, get him to put me on when Ollie Robinson wants to go to the pub. Oh, yeah. the stumps and I'll well, not just Ollie just... Robinson. It's like, you know, the rest of the team as well. All right. So here is the thing. England. What the hell? It all went wrong. Just yeah, selection wise, strategy wise. Everything just went. This is a series that was just a disaster for everyone. Where do you go from here if you're England? Um, I go home. I fire everybody, and I pick the the Braithwaite Park Twelve. <laughs> they're on Facebook. Have a look. They're pretty good. Um, they're terrible. 
who who for you has done enough to get on the plane and go to the West Indies for England? That's their next test match. Uh, Mark Wood, Joe Root, probably Darwin Milan. I know he hasn't scored many runs, but he he had a bit of fight. Johnny Bairstow. Did I say Johnny Bairstow? No, that you've said Johnny Bairstow now. So yeah. um, I'd always take Broad and Anderson. But that's probably about it. So I'm going to take Crawley? No. Really? I was actually pretty impressed by Crawley. I can't remember a dismissal that he had where he threw it away. He just got crackerjack ball after crackerjack ball to get him out. Well. And uh, had that really fighting knock in, uh, yeah, he in Sydney. Yeah, and then whenever he, even in the other innings, he was looking to be positive and put some pressure back on the bowlers. And I think England need that at the top of the order. So Crawley would be probably my second or third player that would, would like Roots obviously one that would be spared. Mark would be next. And then Zach Crawley would be the next one. They'd be the three names. If I'm going in order of sort of ranking yeah. from the last tour, that would be how I would be. Roots obviously there because he's Joe Root. He's the best player in the team. Mark would like I didn't really rate the whole Mark Wood thing coming out here. I thought you know, he just bowls fast and we can handle fast, but he really bowled with a lot of a lot of heart. And I love the fact came... that he falls over a lot. <laughs> I know he's got to try and fix that. However, his career won't last too much longer if he's banging up those knees. But yeah, Crawley for mine is a guy that needs to have a bit of a long leash. Well, I don't. English I, Jack Zach Crawley is the same guy, isn't he? The same guy who scored like twenty something off two hundred balls. Is that the same guy from a couple of years ago? I don't think so. I think it was. Not here. He has, no, not, no, it was not here. It was somewhere. But he'd scored... He scored a double hundred against Pakistan. Yeah, but... And it was a pretty G- good Pakistan G- team. G- Gillespie did that. No, that was Bangladesh. Against, ben, against Bangladesh. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah uh, I'm not, uh, their bowling unit, I think, is not too bad. Uh, they need a spinner. I'd be picking Matt Parkinson. I'd be like, we need an attacking spinner. We've got too many of the same, same bowlers that are going to be there. Like, when fully fit, we're li- largely going to go in with guys like Anderson, like Broad, like Robinson. Um, we're going to have a combination of those guys there. We'll have Mark Wood, but we can't back on Mark Wood to, to do everything. We need another attacking option when the you know the pitch doesn't offer a lot of sideways movement. And Matt Parkinson is a leg spinner, and leg spinners typically just for the nature of the bowl, tend to be more attacking. He gets lots of lots of rip, turns it sideways. He's a guy that they're crazy not to take him. Like I just don't see how they can persist with Leach and Bess. Like you can go with one of them, you know. Yeah. Leach is but the thing is England don't give their spinners any time of day in England. And they come out here and go on tour and it's like, all right, do your thing. And it's like, what do you mean do my thing? I haven't played a test in it's a bit Half like Nathan you. Lyon at Hobart. <laughs> Didn't bowl a single ball. <laughs> Great. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there are all sorts. Joe Root's coming out the media and slamming county cricket, saying team people are making it to test cricket in spite of county cricket rather than because of county cricket. Like, the setup is a mess at the moment. I think in England there are too many counties. It's just way too many. Well, the thing is, is well, I tend to agree, but the counter-argument to that is we've got 20 million people or 25 million people and we've got six. They've got triple the population and they've got 18, which is, again, triple the counties. Yes, but Which is a very simplistic way. You need to look at how many quality cricketers you have to go yeah, over those 18. Um, yeah, I, I know what you, what you mean, but if you had different, like, levels, one, two, third, third like, third grade... I know they have two in England, but I don't. Um, I don't. I don't think it's working because you want your best players playing your other best players. You don't want one team to have two really good cricketers, and then um, yeah, the competition seems to be um, watered down too much. And I think one of the things that really points that out is that Don Bess was lent out on loan to another county because he was stuck behind Jack Leach and wasn't getting any game time. So he went to a Division Two county so he could get some game time, similar to how it works in yeah. the Premier League, um, and then ends up getting picked for England. So he's <laughs> he, he supplants the England spinner who's playing for the same county as him by playing in a lower... Yeah, it's just the yeah. whole selection setup is a mess, is an absolute mess. 
And if England want to, to make any headway as one of the, the key nations in the world, they've got, to, they've got to make some changes. They need to figure out how to get uh, better batting. Wherever they go, like the, it's this isn't a Stuart Broad said it during this. It, this isn't an isolated incident. Their batting collapses in Australia. They've they've struggled to score over three hundred for the last two and a bit years. Yeah. I think they've only got a handful, maybe five times in the last two and a half years they've scored over three. I think even that's been generous. They're yeah. they're just not putting enough runs on the board, and they need to figure out a reason why that is. Because they're not good enough. And and I think there's been a lot of push to you know amalgamate some counties and, you know, make it a, a, the talent pool less diverse so you, you know, it ends up being a, a more competitive competition. And we know how traditionalist English cricket can be, and I just don't see that as something that's going to happen. Well, I, they need to do something. I think it was Kevin Peterson. Don't quote me on this, but I, someone suggested something which I thought was a very intriguing idea, which was to leave the county system alone but introduce a 100-style first-class competition in the sense that the county cricket, you had to play well at county cricket to be picked up in the draft for your franchise. So you had six, seven, eight franchises, whatever the number is, and only the best of the best of county cricket got to play in that, and that's where you pick your England team from. And from there, you open it up to have international spots. So you can say three international spots, yeah. and you can get the likes of you know West Indian players and Australians, and yeah. you won't get Indians because they're actually not allowed by their contracts to play in domestic tournaments other than in India. So you won't get them, but you get the best available because you'd assume there'd be a bit of money that goes into it, and the profits from that, you make it fairly prime time and do your best, and any profits you make from that get shared through the county, in a yeah. revenue-sharing system through the county system as well. So because I, I can't see England making any short-term changes to the way that they're set up. There's just too much too much opposition from counties to you know being so entrenched in tradition and history yeah. there. I, I can't see any substantial things, but I think that could be a way. You leave the counties alone, you find some hidden corner of the summer for them to play, and you find some prominent time for this tournament to happen. You get the ECB to control the pitches so they're more international standard, and you know, you've got to try and find ways to encourage more pace bowlers to come through, not just swing and seam bowlers. You need to find a way of encouraging more spinners to come through. And logistically, that would be a nightmare. I'm not suggesting that's an easy one, but I thought it was a very intriguing way of going about it, letting the county still do their thing, but then having like an extra layer on top that if you're good enough at county cricket, you then get picked up by your franchise. And then that, because obviously there's only eight teams, that then funnels the best to the top. Yeah, it's it's just, I don't know, clear the boards and start again. Yeah, uh, for mine, I think... for. Where I would be going if I was in charge of England is I would be identifying what sort of skill set I want in various positions of my batting lineup. I, th- I, think I, the, I think they've put so much effort into the T20 side and the one-day side. Oh, absolutely. That they've just forgotten all about Test cricket. And I'm sorry, but Test cricket is the pinnacle of cricket. If you talk to anyone that knows anything about cricket, and I mean knows anything... Test cricket is where it's at, baby. And if they say any other answer, they're not people that know anything about it. No, they're not. Um, But I would think where they've got to go from here is they've got no obvious candidates coming through county cricket. It's like, this is our next saviour. This is a guy that's, you know, really ready for a go. Because if they were, they'd already be in the side. But I think you need to look at it. So structurally, that team doesn't work. They've got too many just plotters at the top of the order. So, you know, find a guy that's good defensively because you want a defensive guy, leaves the ball well. But you also need to find guys that have diverse scoring zones. I mean, that's the big problem with Hamid and Burns is that you can control where they score their runs. Yeah. That they won't hurt you in areas if you get it wrong unless you bowl it into their areas. So yeah. you need a guy that you know, might not necessarily have the best average going around, but if he, he's got a solid skill set, you know, can leave the ball well, but actually can play shots like a Zach Crawley, can play some shots. You need to work with him and give them a bit of a leash and try and build a team that way. And I think there just needs to be a fundamental change to how England cricket goes about its cricket. The most successful team England have had in our lifetime would be Michael Vaughan's yeah. slash Andrew Strauss's 
that era of English cricket. So that the yeah. era that saw Strauss, saw um, Peterson, saw Trot, uh, Flintoff, Flintoff yeah, you know, the guys, beginnings yeah. of Anderson abroad, Graham Swan. Um, and that all started because Michael Bourne came out and wanted to play aggressive cricket. You know, Collingwood is another guy as well. Collingwood, I don't believe, had a particularly great first-class record when he was picked, but Michael Bourne knew this is the type of player that I want in my side. And I think they need to start identifying a few more characteristics and a few more skill sets. They might not be the finished article, and I might be necessarily ready for test cricket, but if he's a guy that, yeah, this is a guy that can score all around the park uh, and can really shift momentum, yeah. give that guy a go. As well, I think there's no yeah. obvious standout, but England, what they're doing at the moment is not working. Not working. Well, you, they, you, you look at Marnus Labuschagne. Marnus Labuschagne had an average of about 34. I think it was even lower than that. But in yeah, in shield low. cricket in Australia, got picked to play test cricket and is now ranked number one in the well, world. hasn't looked back. It's been just a... Well, he gets to sit next to Steve Smith. I wouldn't move either. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I just... the. The England cricket team, especially the batting lineup, is fundamentally broken. I think that Stokes needs to bat at six. If you've picked a lineup where, unless you're carrying an extra bowler, if you've picked a lineup where Ben Stokes isn't batting at six, you've picked it wrong. This is a guy, the average is 37 for a reason. Yes, the Headingley knock. Yes, the fastest 250 in Test cricket. Yeah. He's got those, that ability in him, but that should be the cherry on top. You need to let set this guy a platform coming in at, at four for a decent score, and he yeah. can play like that. Um, and then if he's coming in at four for not many, you know that he's got like that beginning of Headingley where he was six off 80-odd balls. He's yeah. a guy that can do that, but I think he's carrying too much of the load batting at five. And then he's also asked because if they ever run with a lineup of, of Robinson, Anderson, Broad, as their as their quicks, there's no one really to go and be the enforcer. So not only is he yeah. batting at five and expected to at least average fifty because he's the second best batsman in the side, he's also got to go and bowl twenty overs of short balls at people because no one can no one else can bowl short with any like that's worth a damn. Yeah, I don't so, see. I don't know if I would have let him in the side to be honest. Stokes. Not, yeah, he just he was he was just so underdone. He's so injured. Oh, well, he's not going to get any more done being on the sidelines. It'll be it'll no. be better for the gallop. But uh, they need to readjust his workload. And I think batting at six and giving him a few overs is the way to go. Or you tell him, stop bowling, we need you to be a gun batsman. Yeah. And you go the other way. But I think that's silly because I think um, Stokes is, he's a genuine all-rounder. He's a guy that can win you a game with bat and ball. Yeah. But I think they're using him the wrong way. Like, he's a guy that swings the ball better than anyone on the side other than James Anderson. But you've got him bowling half trackers all day. Yeah. It's just... It's just silly. The the, the planning there, uh, they would be absolutely kidding themselves if heads don't roll. Yeah. It has been over 11 years since they've won a test match in Australia, and they look like they're getting further away from winning one than getting closer. So England have got... Uh, yeah, because we, we definitely don't have the all-conquering um, Mark Yeah, well, they came so. out here, and all the media out here was like, this is England's best chance to sort of upset the Aussies and give them a bloody nose and then within, like I said, 12 days, was done. Wow. Well, England are battle-tested. Well, you know, the all first this ball of the series, you're like, well, <laughs> I've, so, I've seen this show before. Yeah. Uh, so, they, and it's not just here. Like, they, they got towed up by New Zealand. They got beaten by India. Um, and that was in their home conditions. The, the, the side doesn't work. No, no, at the moment, and they, they need to ask themselves some questions. All right, I think that'll do. We've we've hammered our uh, our oh, English we could, counterparts. We, we could keep going. Nothing makes me feel better than hammering the hammering the palms about uh, how bad could, they are at cricket. We could talk about Ashes cricket till I don't know next next time we record. I suppose that's a week. Yeah, we could probably talk for a week. We like yeah. I might have to plug my yeah. the laptop in to <laughs> charge it up, but uh, we could certainly talk for a week. Uh, so before we go, we'll just uh, we'd be remiss to say that the the women's side are about to start their Ashes. Yep, and I, that, I know someone who might be going there. I will be going to watch the Test match at Monica. I know. I spoke to your wife this morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that that uh, that looks like it's going to be a far closer contest than the men's Ashes. So best of luck to the girls. 
And uh, yeah, well, I think um, I think it's supposed to rain all week, so yeah, that's not good. No, no. Well, we won't be having an episode next week because I will be in uh, Canberra for that. So the following Wednesday after that, we will record and we'll have a bit. Of, I think the women's ashes will be close to wrapped up by then. I think so. They're starting the uh, the T20s very soon, and then the test obviously starts in a week. Yep. And then after that, they'll have the one day. So by the time the following recording date rolls around, I think they'll be pretty much done. They might have a couple of one days to go. So we'll have a chat about that. And, uh, yeah, plenty of cricket, plenty of cricket uh, to to talk about. And uh, the Big Bash, I imagine, will be pretty close to wrapped up as well. So we can talk about how how that went. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good. It's good for you. It's, it's coming to so the, happy. It's, it's happy it's the, the end summer. of the summer. Oh, it's not the end yet. It's, it's so end. close. It, it's, it's, the test matches are over, Aaron. It's in the middle. We're in the middle. My life's gonna. We actually are in the middle. This again. is the middle of January. We're in the middle of summer. So, no. but there are there are less cricketing days ahead than there are behind. Well, for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, feel free to share your thoughts on uh, where uh, you know, England go, where Australia go, how the series went, and if you had any sort of favourite moments that we haven't really glossed over. In this series, there's so much, so many good things to talk about. Scott Bolland, Cam Green, Usman Kawaja, you know, Johnny Bairstow's fighting knock, uh, Pat Cummins, you know, haven't lost a game yet as captain, all that stuff. It's, it's been it's been such a phenomenal summer. It's so many storylines. Only thing that could have been is if it was just a little bit more competitive cricket, but at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a happy chap because we flogged them, and I yeah. do enjoy flogging them. Well, there's nothing better than beating England. The, now we've just got to go and conquer that next frontier, which is the subcontinent. And Pat Cummins thinks there are big things in his team's future, so we can only hope that that holds true. Uh, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Until then, bye for now. See you, guys. Over. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.